Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 142 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Pete Vargas about how lawyers can get better speaking opportunities and get more from them. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio Legal Practice Management Software. Clio makes running your law firm easier. Try it for free today at Clio.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist and get a risk-free trial with Ruby. So, Sam, I'm really excited for your conversation with Pete about speaking opportunities and how lawyers can do a better job of integrating public speaking as part of kind of their reputation building and marketing activities, especially in a context where almost all lawyers think that almost all public speaking is (laughs) teaching CLE to other lawyers. And I think there's just like so much more opportunity out there to rethink how speaking to audiences of people can be a persuasive activity. I had, to, I had to sort of explain what CLE is to Pete, and he was incredulous that that's where lawyers focus their time. Yeah. It, <laughs> as I think we'll all hear in the interview, I, I think you will realize that the idea that CLE speaking is the way lawyers do public speaking is a little ludicrous. But I wanted to step back before kind of jumping into the public speaking stuff to talk about how I know Pete and the importance of tribes. And and Ricky and Doug Brackman and a, a few of our recent guests. Yeah. Actually. So for this past year, I've been participating in a group called Mastermind Talks, which is a global network of entrepreneurs and startup executives founded by Jason Gaynard. He has a great podcast called Community Made, um, where you can hear a little bit more about the group he's built. It's a small group of about 150, 200 people from around the world working together to help support each other in a variety of kind of on mostly online startup businesses. So some of our recent previous guests, Doug Brackman and Ricky Hansen, who Sam mentioned, um, are people I met at Mastermind Talks last May. And Pete is someone I sat next to at our third night dinner there. Um, and I got to know Pete and he's a great guy. And what's interesting here is we've done a really good job, I think, of talking about how our podcast is part of us building the lawyerist tribe. But I like to wear a few different tribe hats. One is our (laughs) lawyerist tribe. One is as an entrepreneur in the tech space. Uh, It's really important for me to also have my tribe of people who work on those similar projects and have those same struggles. And so I thought it'd be interesting to chat for a minute about the importance of finding your group of like-minded people who can support you in exploring the future of whatever your business is. Yeah, as we've been building TBD law, that's one of our ideas, although I hate the I, the term like-minded. I, I prefer um, similarly different-minded yes. <laughs> is what we came yes. up with to convey the, that idea. I mean, I know what people mean by it, and I and I agree. It's it's finding people who get your same picture of the world is really valuable and liberating, and finding people who support you um, or who are at least willing to 
um, hold you accountable for your goals and things like that is really important. And TBD law was our first step towards that. But we want to make that sort of an experience, open it up to the broader community of small firm lawyers. And um, so starting today, you can go to lawyerist.com slash insider to find out what's next for us. We are going to be launching insider over the next few weeks. And if you leave your email address there, we will let you know as soon as it's available to you. So go to lawyerist.com slash insider to find out when you can become one. And we look forward to having all the small firm lawyers who are currently subscribed to our email address or who read Lawyerist or who listen to the podcast as part of that little bit more formal community than we have now. So please go sign up and we look forward to having you on board. Yeah. I mean, we've spent much of the last couple of years, especially since we launched this show, trying to figure out who our people are in the legal industry. And the legal industry is notorious for um, being slower and more traditional and more conservative and less tech savvy than the rest of the universe. And so finding the people who break all of those molds and are looking for the future and are being creative and client centric in figuring out what the future of practice looks like has been our mission for the last few years. And we think it's going to be a lot more fun to do that work with more of you. And so rather than limiting our community or our tribe to just a couple hundred people who have been to TBD, we want to make sure that you all have the opportunity to find that tribe to work on this project together. Cool. So go to lawyers.com slash insider. And let us know that you want to hear more. And with that, here's a quick conversation with one of our sponsors and then my interview with Pete. Hi, my name is Brian Knutson, and I am a vice president at Thomson Reuters. And I work with small law firms, making sure that we are delivering the proper information and software resources for them to be successful. And this is David Curl. I'm director of market intelligence for the Thomson Reuters legal business. And David, you and I only ever see each other at conferences, even though we are currently 20 minutes away from each other in our own offices, which I think is highly amusing. Exactly. I have no idea what your office looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, your business at Thompson in, in large part revolves around serving the needs of small firms. So Brian, when you think about security of small firms and client data, what are the key things that you think those firms ought to be thinking about? Well, I think it goes without saying that you know security is, is paramount and perhaps more so than ever, uh, you just have to pick up the newspaper uh, each day and see some other type of security issue. And small and medium-sized businesses are really uh, top targets for cyber criminals. And talking with industry experts as well as our customers themselves, this is something they continue to struggle with, how to defend and how to react to it. And, you know, I think the cloud is a um, area that can help address uh, those security issues and protect against some common threats, particularly ransomware attacks, where firms can actually have their data locked up by by certain attacks and, and cloud providers can provide a antivirus defense and redundancy there to defend against that activity. Yeah, it basically takes the burden off of the small firms to provide those services. David, I'm curious, uh, I just mentioned that you and I see each other at conferences exclusively, and you go to more than I do. And so I'm curious, like, what's the buzz in the audience or in the vendor spaces about what is coming up around data security and how small firms are addressing it? You know, I think clearly you see that more and more small firms are comfortable moving to the cloud. Um, more and more, you know, if you think about 
outside of the legal context, all kinds of businesses, all kinds of industries of all sizes are comfortable with the cloud now, more so in the in the years past. It's almost kind of a given. Uh, I think the, the discussion is maybe moving a little bit from just the pure security issues and thinking of cloud as a place to store data to maybe uh, the other advantages of, of, of the cloud, such as... Um, you know, you can you can build a secure client portal, so so you can secure not just the the fixed data, but some of the communications between um, a practitioner and their clients. You know, you think of a case again uh, in the news where Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, um, his attorney gave out some secure information from an imposter who who came in through email. It's not just about the the day-to-day data, but also about the communications with clients that need to be secure. Yeah, it's interesting. Email is inherently insecure in some ways, even though it's becoming more secure. Mm-hmm. But it, anybody can find your email address, email you, and and weird stuff like that can happen that isn't the kind of security hacker threat that people are always thinking about. So good point. And, and secure right. portals are a great way around that. Brian, what when you think about obstacles, I mean, are we done with this conversation about should people switch to the cloud or are there obstacles remaining? And, and what, what do you see about that? Yeah, what we hear from our customers is is uh, why someone has not moved to the cloud yet are, are some of the things you may expect, which is a perceived cost factor, uh, why they're not switching. It's always easy to stay with your status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we hear that whether it's switching to a net new technology or changing a business practice, the momentum of the status quo is hard to overcome. And then lastly, particularly around cloud or other technology purchases, um, taking the time to learn and educate themselves about what is the best solution. And I think that's why as we look at cloud providers, um, you know, we really recommend that you ask uh, potential cloud providers some common questions about certifications that they have, the level of redundancy they have in their data centers, and how often their data is backed up. And we really look to a couple certification factors that we think is indicative of a good, stable cloud provider, Uh, one of which is ISO 27001, and the second one is SOC2 Type 2 certifications. Now, I'm not a technologist, but I would certainly look to those uh, certifications as uh, very important in a cloud provider. One which our own Firm Central product actually has uh, is certified under. And David, uh, you know, I know uh, the perceived cost is something that is just not it's it's backwards, right? <laughs> the cloud is often cheaper, yeah. and, and the other cost, the cost of switching, the the fact that it's easier, those are things that cloud providers can alleviate, can't they? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's you know, it, it the nice thing about the cloud is that it, it sort of levels the playing field. A, a very small firm can have some of the same resources that a, that a large firm maybe that, that runs installed software can have. And it's, it's, it's not just the cost of the subscription, it's kind of the total cost of ownership you have to think about when, when looking at a cloud solution. And, and they're often, they often come out you know, as very economical. And convenient, right? Yeah, for, exactly. You don't have to have the servers laying around. You don't have to hire a guy to come in and fix them all the time. Um, you know, the, most of the most of the nuts and bolts of it are off-site, so it, it, it really makes things easier um, to work with. I think we, we just hear that over and over from our customers that they rarely regret the move to the cloud because they have removed essentially that overhead and that management burden and shifted that to somewhere else. David, are there any other things that firms should be considering around moving to the cloud or when or after they move to the cloud? Well, I, I can think of two things that are worth thinking about. One is that you know I think more and more lawyers, as we've said here, are, are comfortable with the cloud more and more clients may be getting smarter about this stuff or because they're reading the newspapers, they're, 
they're starting to ask questions about your security. So I think one thing is it's important to be able to answer the questions about security that Brian alluded to. You know, what are the certifications? What are the backup procedures? To to make clients comfortable with where their data is if, if they have questions. So you're up on my soapbox here with me that lawyers should be talking about security more with clients. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's almost awesome. a competitive advantage to, to be able to answer those questions. Yeah. Anything else, Brian? Aside from all the security aspects of the cloud, I think one of the biggest th- benefits of cloud access is just the um, weather events that have been in the news recently. So we've seen um, law firms in Houston, Louisiana, Florida, and Puerto Rico all be significantly impacted by, by hurricanes. And it's so important for firms to have a disaster recovery plan in place to do that, which covers both their their people, their facilities, and their data. And I think, uh, first and foremost, people have to understand uh, if my area is impacted, what am I going to do to make sure my my employees are safe? Because they're, the, they're really the, the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. Uh, and secondly, uh, how is my infrastructure going to survive, both my facility itself as well as my technology infrastructure? And if you're having servers in a spot that is vulnerable, that puts the entire firm operation in a vulnerable position. Cloud solves that. You get anytime, anywhere access. Uh, You get a lot of redundancy in your data. So in the event that you are evacuated or your facility is impacted by a weather event, uh, you can continue to operate your practice seamlessly for your clients. Very cool. Thanks, David and Brian. And thanks to Thompson for sponsoring today's podcast. Um, As part of that, Thompson is making one of its more popular cybersecurity papers available to listeners. It's a cloud security checklist with five things law firms need from a cloud services provider. They're also going to be doing a cybersecurity webinar in a couple of weeks. Um, You can visit the show notes for this episode at lawyerist.com slash podcast to find the white paper and sign up for the webinar. And you'll be able to do that by the time you're hearing this episode. Hey, yeah, my name is Pete Vargas, and I am the founder of Adventure Reach, and we've been helping entrepreneurs and organizations really um, get their message out on stages for the last 14 years, been responsible for over 25,000 stages across the world, and we really believe that stages are one of the most powerful ways to grow your business. And so, yeah, that's, that's the name of our company and our organization and a little bit about kind of what we do. When you say uh, spreading the word, getting the word out through stages, you mean public speaking? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so public speaking or speaking um, on stages. Yeah, we uh, believe that when you speak and you provide great value and content, that it's one of the greatest ways for people to want to go deeper with you and your services. And so we don't want people to be quote unquote public speakers like road warriors. Yeah. We want them to really use speaking to build a business, to really allow them to build their business. Can you frame that for me? Like uh, more, um, what's the overall objective? Uh, you know, when, when we think about what we're trying to do with speaking, how should we be thinking about that big picture wise? Yeah. Big picture wise. Like I believe that there are there, you know, there's a million, there's millions of stages just in the U S alone that are taking place um, all year long. And it's millions and millions of stages. And the people sitting in those audiences are all different types of niches and all different types of industries. And so as we are sharing kind of, as you and I talk, there's a huge, you know, there's huge events out there just around how to, you know, create incredible IP or how to create incredible content. And so people are going to learn how to create content. Well, in this case, 
if a lawyer were there and were able to provide great value around how to protect your content or how to protect your IP as they sat up on stage and delivered a powerful 60-minute talk or 40-minute talk or 20-minute talk, the, the beautiful thing is they're sitting in front of an audience who would come because all of that audience wants to have their IP protected. And what they would be able to see is if they do a great job on stage, they would see, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80% of that crowd opt in to get uh, some free giveaway from stage. And, you know, that just begins the process to now a bunch of new clients that could become retainer clients um, around your specialty, which might be IP. And so we believe that when you're on a stage, um, that stage, the value of that stage should be really great and exponential because of uh, you providing content. So that's kind of the framework. It doesn't matter if you're out there, you know, we've served in all different industries, but yeah, that's, that's the framework of really leveraging a stage by providing amazing value. And when you provide amazing value, people just so happen to want to go deeper with you with your products and services. So when you say stages, I think, you know, like colored lights, um, big LED screens, like TED Talks, Polish, uh, are, are, is that what you mean? Or are, should I also be looking for small stages in my town? Oh, yeah. So there are, there's 23,000 national associations across America. And those national associations, just like there's lawyer, you know, the national association, what's the, what's the, what's some of the big lawyer uh, associations out there? Oh, the, I mean, there's the ABA, there's, um, there's some trade shows, there's um, national trial lawyers and things like that, too. So you're very familiar. Out of those 23,000, there's probably a few dozen that are, you know, lawyer, attorney specific. Mm-hmm. Well, under a lot of associations, they have state associations. And, and those state associations meet one to two times a year with their big meetings. The nationals meet one to two times a year with their big conferences. And so, yes, those conferences, what you're talking about at that national level, yeah, big lights, big cameras, big action, and not all of them, but a lot of them. But then when you drill down to the local level, you'll begin to start seeing a lot of local associations just in the local market. And so, you know, where there are 23 national associations, 23,000 national associations, there's over 100,000 state associations, and there are millions of local associations in any niche and industry that you can imagine. And so the best picture that I can paint is one of our clients served in the educational market. They were trying to make a big difference in the educational market. And so we said if we could hone in on one association, we would be able to do that. So they focused on the association with school district superintendents. And so the National Association of Superintendents is called AAFA. That's one of the 23,000 national associations that I referenced. Well, everybody thinks big stages like you thought there. Well, when you hone in on the state level, there's 50 state chapters within AAFA which is really, really cool. And those are two bigger conferences, bigger conventions, and they have one to two conferences a year. But here's where the power gets really big, is that at the local level, there are 13,000 school districts in America. And those school districts meet kind of on a monthly basis with their building principals. And those are the decision makers who make all the decisions for bringing back programs or products or services into their schools. And so everybody thinks national or state, and they don't think about the local. Well, the local is where there is a huge amount of opportunity, and I'm just using one one association as an example. And so that's the association world, and that's a big world. That's like the big, big world, but you also have the 
the, you know, the public seminar world as well, which also is really big as well, which it has to do with people hosting their own events and not based on a membership. Am I right to think that it's more about being like uh, having a targeted audience than a huge audience? Yes. For, for some people, for most people, it is like I believe you're one major association or one niche or industry uh, away from really having all of the, all of the, you know, quote unquote leads that could potentially do business with you and invest in your retainers, your services, whatever it is that you provide. Uh, yeah, it's definitely but really figuring out where the people who need like the people who buy your products and services, where do they sit? Like, where are they at? Where, what are they attending? Like, are, and forget what they're attending. What, who are they? Mm-hmm. And if it's CEOs or if it's, you know, even plumbers, or if it's, you know, whatever it is, all of them meet. Figure out where they gather. Yeah. Yeah. You figure out where they gather and, and you go be a content provider to them. You, you're not a lawyer to them. You're a content provider to them. And yes, that's exactly what takes place. And, and that's what we've seen on a really big scale. We've been responsible for helping a lot of people, you know, grow their messages over the last you know, 14 years, 15 years. You dropped a, a phrase that um, I'm not sure lots of lawyers are familiar with, but I, I think is really key is when you get up on stage, you, you need to get people to opt into something, right? I, I think most, yeah. uh, many people get up, they, they deliver a speech, um, they, they give a presentation, uh, and then they then they go back to their office and hope the phone rings. And and sometimes it will, for sure. But I think um, what you're suggesting by, by mentioning opt-ins is that you're missing an opportunity if you don't ask the audience to do something while you're there. So maybe you could explain what opt-ins are and how they should play into um, speaking engagements. Yeah, so an opt-in is, for example, I just gave you an IP illustration. Well, that was actually a, a lawyer that did that. And he went to a huge conference, a really nationally recognized conference, and spoke on how to protect your IP. Not to lawyers, right? To a, to an audience of other no, people? No, yeah. to consumers that would hire him, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, to people who would hire him. They didn't, you know, they're not thinking they're going to hire him when he talks, but because he gave great content. And then in the middle of his content, as he was sharing like some of the keys to protecting your IP, he gave away a free gift that reinforced what he just taught. And as he gave away that free gift for what he reinforced that he just taught, it turned into a significant amount of people trading their names and numbers and emails in return for that free gift. And what was it? You know, I it, it had something to do with like just a checklist of like the things to really protect yourself. You know, I, I don't remember the exact thing because I wasn't in there for the whole presentation, but it had to do with something around protecting yourself and, you know, a, a checklist of things that you can do to protect your IP or, you know, it had something to do in that range. And as they gave them their information, he now can follow up with them. And just for the record, I was in there for a good portion of the deal. He did. He followed up with me and I actually hired him. And that's so that's why I know that this works. And that's yeah. the biggest thing that I can express to your audience. I hired him. I'm a consumer. This was not a lawyer to lawyer or, you know, professional development type of conference. This was lawyer to consumer, the consumer who actually invests in your products and services. They're sitting out there in the market. They gather monthly or annually at events, millions of events. And if you can become a great content provider you will and, and give away something that is of value to them while you're providing that content. You then can capture their names and you can have your teams begin to follow up with them and watch what begins to happen. So we engaged with him on a 30-day contract. And now right now we're talking about a month in, month out 
retainer contract. And I didn't even think about that before we talked ahead of time. I didn't realize that how, how powerful he was with his value. I was one of many, many, many customers that he landed out of that key event. So uh, I, I assume the idea from the opt-in is you, you, you try to give something that's going to benefit the people there uh, and be an attractive thing that they're going to want, right? You're going to provide them something that's independently valuable, but it also allows you to collect their email address so that you can follow up with them or maybe their phone number even um, so you can follow up with them and um, try to move them through your own conversion funnel to, you know, along the path from somebody you just met who maybe got some value from a, a presentation to a, a client. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's got to save them time or save them money and they got to see that pain point. And so if, you, if it's like, man, I don't want to go figure out the checklist of how to make sure my IP is protected and they're giving that away, that's saving me time. Or it's something that might you might be selling on a website or something that you already sell that would save them money. So let's, uh, you know, we have a guy in the financial space that he does a cash recovery call. And, and, and instead of calling a consulting call or a strategy call, because everybody knows that sounds, it's another word for sales call, um, he calls it a cash recovery call. And in the cash recovery call, there's a big, bold promise that we're going to find, we're going to be able to find some money and help save you, you know, some money in different areas of your life. And yes, so that to people is very appealing to say, ooh, I want to sign up for a cash recovery call. So yes, it's giving away something that's going to, you know, save them time, save them money or help them, you know, that's what they're really concerned about. And it's got to feed into what you're teaching. So when you do that, they'll give you their name, they'll give you their email, they'll give you their phone number. I mean, heck, we even ask a lot of times for their addresses. So, yeah. so yes, that's what it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. Very cool. So we've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, um, I want to talk more about how to give an effective presentation, which was a, a loaded thing that you dropped earlier that I think is worth talking about more. Um, and then I want to talk about how to actually pursue those speaking opportunities that, that go beyond the typical things that people might look for. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. You could invest in marketing your firm, you could spend more time helping clients in need, or you could catch your daughter's soccer game. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With Clio, tracking time, billing, and matter management are fast and easy, giving you more time to focus on what really matters. And Clio is a complete practice management platform with plenty of tools and over 50 integrations to help you automate daily tasks such as document generation and court calendaring. See how the right software can make it easier to manage your practice. Try Clio for free today at Clio.com. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. 
Okay, we're back. And Pete, I you you mentioned giving an effective, great presentation, um, which is not a simple thing. Um, so I'm wondering if you can condense that into something that we could talk about in a few minutes for like what are the the two or five or seven like main things that people need to do or do better in order to really be effective on a stage as opposed to um, making the audience think about uh, where to go for lunch. What I would tell you is, and, and I think most um, because of how much, how, how, you know, how driven lawyers are definitely by data and case studies and, and analytics, I think what I'm about to talk about might be a little, might, might be somewhat like, oh, I don't know about that, Pete, but I, I want to let you know, it doesn't matter the, the lawyer I just told you about or the clients that we've worked with. Like there is a key component that is going to might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, if you do it, you will see um, drastic connection with you. And it's really leading with the heart and it's really getting to the heart of the matter first. Like um, we have a proprietary process that we believe is the critical way to outline a signature talk. And it's all about the heart and it's all about human connection and really connecting with the person's heart right off the bat. And if you can do that within the first 10 to 20% of your time to talk and somehow really tie in the why behind what you do, and it helps them understand, you know, what it's like to walk in their shoes. Like that's the biggest thing they want to know. This person up there knows what it's like to walk in my shoes and they understand the pain and the problems I'm facing in my life. If you can do that in the first 10 to 20% of your talk, watch out because now they're going to be, their minds are going to be open to listen to everything that you teach them. And so that's the first piece that I'd really encourage them to really think about is how can you relate to them in a way that helps them understand, um, you know, what it's like. So for example, with IP, mm -hmm. I know what it's like to have your IP ripped off. You know, I had this person who had their IP ripped off or I had this person that had something taken from them. And here's what we did to make sure that it never happened again. And, you know, now all of a sudden the, per the person in the audience really realizes, and I'm not drawing that story out. I would draw it out a little bit more than that. But now they understand, you know what it's like to walk in their shoes. You know what they feel. And now when you go to teaching, they're all ears. And so that's the first piece. The second piece is the head. You want to teach them a proprietary process or you want to teach them a process that's going to get them results. Um, so here's the five things that you have to do to protect your IP. Well, it just so happens that your services do those five things. But if they walk away from that presentation and, and, and they're one of the rare few, you know, you know, there's a, a small percentage that takes action on, on, on talks because they just get overwhelmed or they don't go and do the action. But if there are a percentage that takes you up on what you teach and go and do it and see results, awesome. And if they don't, um, th their, their other option is to go deeper with you and work with you, which is the beauty of this. And so you want to teach for about 60 to 70% of the time that you have. And you want to speak to their minds. And here's what I want you to know. Every teaching point that you give, we love to give three to five critical steps. And those three to five critical steps should connect back to what you do um, as a lawyer. And we love to drive every critical step home with either quotes, case study, a story, data, and speak to both the left brain and the right brain. So the quotes and the stories of maybe a client would speak to that right brain, but the data and the case studies, any analytics would speak to the left brain. So don't worry as you're driving home your critical steps, drive home with what I call reinforcing evidence, which I know that they'll probably love that. But some of the reinforcing evidence should be right brain, 
and some of it should be left brain. It's a high percentage of people that are right brain. Hmm. And so make sure you, but for those 20% of people, make sure you interact with some data, some analytics, and even a case study, because even in case studies, they're not completely factual, but they feel more factual to people. And so that's the middle part of the presentation. Then as you transition out, there's the hands. So we went with the heart to the head to the hands. The hands is the call to action. The hands is making sure that you get their contact information. There's two pieces to the hands, and I want to say this. There's one, trying to get them a quick win. So if there's a little piece of insight that you can get to them to give them a quick win, that when they leave there, it will take them 20 or 30 minutes to get this done, and when they get this done, it's a major win for them, give them the quick win while you're teaching in your presentation. So try to get them a quick win. But the second piece of the hands, so that's like them getting a quick win. Like do this right now, and it will it will make it yeah. your life better or your problem better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so now that's the hands that benefits them. The hands that benefit, that's their hands going out, literally doing something and making their life better. Now, the hands that we're asking them to do to make our life better is to give them, give us their information Mm -hmm. and by giving away a free gift. And that is beautiful, too. So that third piece is really the hands. And um, and those are the couple of things that you do in the hands. And then the fourth piece is the actual bringing it all back with the heart, like drive home and reinforce with some closing heart piece that reinforces everything that you need to do. Now, I know if you're speaking to your colleagues at a, like a, a, another growth event or uh, what's the proper word, Sam, for that? Uh, CLE, continuing legal education. <laughs> so I realize when you're speaking at a CLE event that maybe that's not, that's not the like exact approach, but if you're speaking to consumers who would buy your products and services, I'd really encourage that. And I want to tell you what, I would encourage you to maybe lead a little bit with the heart on the front end of the CLE event and watch what begins to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you might not be able to do 10 to 20%, but maybe five to six, maybe even 8% of the time. Uh, people used to tell me, don't do that with lawyers. Don't do that with CEOs. <laughs> don't do that with executives. And I want to tell you some of those stages were the highest value stages that we were ever on with our clients because of the fact that they were the ones that really structured that opening piece unlike anybody else doing it. And and what do I mean by value stage? You should be able to connect all of those leads you generate and see the amount of business that that generates for you in the next six to 12 months. That's what I mean by value. Well, and you know, I don't know if you hang out with many lawyers, but what do lawyers do? They get together and tell war stories. Yeah. Um, So that that's, it's a way of showing that you understand. And and I think you're right. When you talk about connecting the heart, that's what it is. Um, and you know you you still want you still want to leave it with a connection to those lawyers or because that's that's your your referral sources potentially uh, and if you can figure out a way to speak to them and solve their pain point by um, taking taking legal issues that they can't handle or something it, you it feels like you can still fit this into uh, an audience of peers as opposed to an audience of potential clients oh absolutely like yeah, there. I think there's even. I mean, even in those CLE events, Sam, there's great opportunity there that they might be leaving on the table right now too. Like I really mm-hmm. think there is, and I, I think that if you can begin to incorporate a little bit more story into in the back end of your talk, and and I'm not telling you to go all in like like our methodology says, but go in just a little bit. Um, I think you're going to begin to see a higher conversion of them, you know, giving you re- referrals and. All that I don't I don't want to pretend like I understand the CLE completely, but I do know in every industry there's you know there's what they call PDU or some type of professional mm-hmm, totally. development. And that's what's happening there. 
And, and I think they'll begin to see some exciting things happen if they're able to do that. So. Yeah, ta- teaching somebody about um, your practice area doesn't have to be um, just dry and boring and all information. You can make it more interesting and, and really you're always talking about solving a problem. Yep. Um, so totally. Hey, um, you, you've talked a lot about speaking and the substance. Um, what's your position on slides? Um, I love slides if they're driving home a point and mm-hmm. I, and, but not like text heavy slides. People try to use text heavy. I was going to follow with bullet points or no bullet points. So <laughs> yeah, I would, I take, I would take text and I would have that text create like an infographic or a framework or a Venn diagram or a pyramid or a, like a lateral going from left to right, arrow to arrow, like watch what happens if you'll take the bullet points in the text and create some type of imagery out of it Mm -hmm. and name that imagery or name that infographic. I use slides and a lot of people in the market, there's lots of folks in the market that say don't use slides. I use slides, but they're not text heavy and they're visually compelling and they paint a picture. And I, more than anybody else at live events, you will see people's phones come out five times during my presentation. And they're not going to do that with, you know, a bunch of bulleted point text heavy things. To take a picture of your slides. Yeah. To take a picture of my slides because they're just blown away by the, by the imagery uh, or the graphic or the, you know, Venn diagram that I've created. And so that's what I would encourage people to do. You know, I, a lot of times when I'm presenting, uh, I get asked for my slides because they want to distribute my slides as materials um, to as a companion to my presentation, and I what I usually say is, um, and what I what I usually think is, if you can do that with your slides, then you've done your slideshow wrong. There's way too much information in your slides. Um, yes. And so I usually say, you know, my slides really aren't useful for that. Um, and I, and I think I think maybe uh, I don't know. I, I'm curious on your take. Like my feeling is, if they are useful as handouts, then your slides are probably done wrong. Yeah. No, I I mean I agree with you. Like I, I completely agree with you. So. Um, and, and, and handouts are good. So we have, you know, we have 15 to 20 core slides that we use when we speak. That's what we have. And, and so I really want to encourage people to, if you're going to use the slides, use them to like reinforce and drive home the points. If you want like all this fill in the blank or bullet point and stuff, then like, yeah, handouts are a really good option for that. But your slides should drive home everything that you're talking about. Very cool. How do people go about figuring out where to speak. I mean, we, we touched on this really briefly up front, but you know, we talked about go where your clients gather, but is there, is there a strategy to figuring that out? Oh yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy. Like who are, you know, who are the people that invest in you? I mean, specifically people want to say general, but who are the people that invest in you on a, like a retainer basis? Who are your top 10 biggest clients? Like go write down your clients and then put like specifically the industries they're in. Like what industries are they in or who are they? So, I mean, that's how you start. And then once you've got that, you then begin to go research where they're at. And then once you have that, you better make sure that you have a value proposition. You're not going in there as, uh, you know, Sam and Pete law practice. You're going in there as, how to protect your IP. You're going in there as a value provider, not a, 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 a like a law practice. That's yeah. what's different. Like it's cool if you go do that peer to peer, but you have to become a value, like a provider. So if you give me an example, like maybe give me an example of a lawyer that comes to mind um, that, you know, who would their specific clientele be in like a specific industry? I mean, I, let me give you a couple examples and you can pick and choose one. Um, let's say, okay, uh, yeah. let's go with a, a divorce lawyer. Uh, an auto accident lawyer, 
um, and or uh, and maybe a trademark lawyer. And the trademark lawyer is probably the easiest one. Because, you know, a, a, an auto accident lawyer or a personal injury lawyer um, or a family lawyer who does divorces, in some ways their clientele is potentially everyone. It is potentially everyone. Yeah, for, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, definitely. So I'm going to – and then is there you – know, I, I just came across somebody. Is there, like, people big in the oil and gas? Like, is there folks like that? There's oh, there's, sure. there's people who, who are around real estate. So, like, I mean, I think a divorce and an auto lawyer are – you know, auto accident lawyer, divorce, divorce lawyer. Um, you, you're right. There are a lot of people, but someone like a trademark, you're going to go anywhere where there's content or anybody that has like some type of unique, you know, uh, something that they're trying to trademark. Those are huge. Those are big crowds. They're entrepreneurial places. They're, you know, stuff like that. I'm going to use one. Let's use the trademark. Actually, I'm going to use oil and gas. Hmm, yeah. so I'm actually online right now. So like oil and gas associations. And, you know, I think about the U.S. Oil and Gas Association and you go to USOGA.org and then under there, you're going to find like the Colorado, the Texas. And then under let's just pretend under Texas, you're going to find a bunch of chapters within that. These are people who are, you know, in the gas industry. They're 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 the consumer. They're the person that's going to hire you, um, and so they get together on sometimes on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, or an annually basis. I don't want to pretend like I know that what uh, a lawyer would do for them, but they do something to keep them safe and keep them protected. Yeah. So you'd basically go find their events about us. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go see whenever they have an event coming up. And you're basically going to go create content around the problem that you solve for them. And you're going to create a talk that allows that's so appealing where they would have you come in and share it with their membership base. And when you share it with their membership base, it should connect in a way to say, wow, what that guy or gal just talked about I need to hire them. It sounds like you're suggesting that, I mean, people should go and look it out and then, and then kind of pitch them on a presentation you want to give, not just, Hey, I'd like to come talk to your, your group. Um, here is the present, here's the value I want to provide to your members. Yeah. So like right here, I'm at the Colorado, uh, the Colorado association of gas and oil, uh, association. And right here on the main page, anybody wants to go look at this later, you can go to www.coga.org. I'm doing this real time right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they have a thing right now that says request a speaker. Thank you for uh, interest in host, uh, you know, hosting a COG speak. So they have like their annual meeting and luncheon, and there's a call for proposals right now online. Yeah. And so their annual meeting and luncheon right now says that they have an event coming up. And, you know, this event will be held on, you know, Thursday, November 9th, 2017 at the Marriott Center. Uh, it's $850 per table. Um, and so they have this. They have an October n- networking thing. They have an annual Mardi Gras. They have all of these events going on in COGA that if they felt like you had a, a, a topic that was relevant for their association, they would bring you in. And what I'm saying is if you, if you're great when you get, so yes, you are pitching them on the fact that your topic could really help serve their membership base. And when you go in there and you do a great job um, and provide value, it's not a, you're not a vendor, you're a value provider. You go provide value and you give away something for free. You should see 50, 60, 70, 80% of those people opt into your free gift. 
And from there, you have some of the warmest contacts and warmest leads that you possibly can have because they've experienced you, your work in person. The same thing the guy in California did, I did with him as I experienced his work, and then I went on to hire him. I've never, well, actually, that's not true. I have rarely ever hired a lawyer. The only lawyer that I've ever hired in my life had to do with like my, 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 you know, my will and my trust and all of that stuff, like mm -hmm. all of that planning, but I've never hired one for my business. Hmm. So that's what I want the, that's what I want them to see, Sam, is the fact that I've never hired a lawyer for my business ever, but I was at an event. I saw his topic. I was, I was compelled by his topic. And, and I said, I'm going to sit in his talk for a little bit, but I'm going to take him offline one-on-one. -on -one. As I sat with him one-on-one, -on -one, the conversation was easy because of the credibility that he had as a content provider right there. That's the opportunity that you're, you know, the yeah. lawyers have here. You, and you've touched on one of my sort of soapboxes, which is uh, many lawyers approach marketing from the perspective of they're trying to win the client at the point which the client is searching for a lawyer. But you've just illustrated beautifully the point that Lots of times, uh, clients aren't searching for a lawyer when the, even when they need one or, or even they, they don't even know they're ready to hire one yet because it hasn't come into their head yet. You hired a lawyer when you didn't even you weren't really looking for one. And I, I think that is a great illustration of my point, which is get out in front of people before they're actually shopping for a lawyer. Yeah, you can be the one that helps them recognize the problem that they have. Mm -hmm. That's what he, I would have never known I had a problem had I not, had he not provided value. And by the way, he didn't just provide value. He did provide the problem. Yeah. He provided the problem because I would, uh, he wanted me to understand what the problem was and then shown the solution and how, it, how I can solve it. Well, guess what? I don't want to solve it. I didn't want to <laughs> go through, I didn't want to go through rocket, you know, some, some tool out there like a, you know, I know there's there's a bunch of tools out there that allow you to create your own legal documents, and I know there's lots of them. I didn't want to do it. I wanted an expert. I'm a business owner. Time is of essence to me, and you know, the people that hire you, who listeners, time is of essence to them. They just don't recognize a lot of times that they have the problem. And that right. day, I saw the problem, I saw the solution, and I hired him. So, Pete, uh, if if people are listening and uh, they're they're interested and their heads are spinning a little bit about uh, changing the way get, they give presentations, finding new places to present, all that kind of stuff. Um, I assume you can help with that. How can people get in touch with you to find out more? There's two things that I think will serve them. Number one, understanding the types of stages that they can be on that would be great marketing stages because there's, I don't want this to sound overwhelming, but there's 70 different types of stages that they can be on. And many of those in their local market, many of those online I mean, there's, there's online and offline stages. And so we have a resource that helps walk through every one of the stages that they can be on. Hmm, so they can cool. do an inventory to say, I want to try one of these or two of these and see how well it works for my business. So that's the first tool is that we have a whole breakdown of all of those stages that in a matter of 15, 20 minutes, they can make a decision on, on which stages could make the most sense. And then that's irrelevant if we don't provide some training on how to win the stages. And so I think the second big piece that we can provide is we have a, a, a thing called the Unstoppable Stage Campaign, and it's a systematic step-by-step -step approach to winning stages. And so once they've determined the stage that they want to be on, this training would then come alongside and support them and give them kind of a step-by-step -step on how the, the, them or their team could really begin to win those stages. So I think those two resources would help. And yeah.
I'll, you know, our team has that, you know, we'll get that up and ready for your uh, community here, Sam. Great. We'll throw that link in our show notes too. Thanks for all your insights today, Pete. And uh, thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Yeah, man, I appreciate it so much. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.